0: Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honored to be joined by Reverend Blaine Wimberley, Pastor at Zia United Methodist Church. Blaine, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: It's great having you here. Tell us, so what is the Methodist Church and, and how does it how is it different to other churches? The
1: Methodist Church is a Protestant Christian denomination. We are different in that we did not come out of the Reformation, the Lutheran Reformation, uh, Luther and Zwingli and all those guys. We came from the Anglican Church, the Church of England, and that occurred as a reform movement within the Church in the time of John Wesley, who is the leader of the Methodist Church, the, the founder of the Methodist Church, not that he ever intended to start a separate denomination, um, but we are followers of John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest and died an Anglican priest. And so we're actually later on the scene of Protestantism than a lot of the others.
0: And how does it differ, practically speaking or spiritually speaking, I mean, the two could be the same, actually, um, in terms of how you live your life uh, in, in a religious context?
1: From other Protestant denominations. Um, the Methodist Church tends to be one One of Wesley's um, ways of looking at the world was with what one of his scholars called the quadrilateral, which involves scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And the Methodist churches, more than others, I think, lean on reason and experience and try to have open minds and think about things. It has been said of Methodists that we're open to believe anything, which is not true, (laughs) but we are more open than some.
0: (laughs) I I share that as a Reformed Jew uh, being told, well, Reformed Jews just believe anything. Um, So what is it? This quadrilateral idea is is extraordinary, actually. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Right. And you say you tend to focus more on reason and experience. So then what is the role of Scripture?
1: Well, I— what I meant was that we focus more than other denominations, I think, on reason particularly and experience, maybe not so much experience. Um, for, for Wesley, the foundation was scripture. So that's the main thing. And you can't just use scripture. You have to use at least one or probably two, not necessarily three, of the other sides of the quadrilateral. So you say, what does Scripture say about this issue, and how does my experience affirm that or suggest something different? What is the tradition of the church in these circumstances? And what's logical? What's What makes sense when I think about this as an educated person because God gave me a brain and expects me to use it?
0: So... What happens when some of these sides of the quadrilateral are in conflict? For example, most academics today would say that there is archaeological evidence which challenges some of the biblical narrative. What do, what do you do with that?
1: I don't have a problem with that because I don't see the biblical narrative as a scientific document Or even a strictly historical document, I see the truth of Scripture as being in what it means um, rather than in the details.
0: So does that then complement the experience in the sense of trying to to understand what it means from how I have already lived my life? Probably. And so then because this is, in some sense, this describes Reformed Judaism as well, actually, um, which is always nice to to, to see um, some similarity holding tradition with us, but challenging it with reason and experience. The biggest um, challenge, I would say, Reformed Jews face would be where's the grounding then? If we take scripture and tradition and say that's important, but also contemporary learning, Can we say we're grounded in the same grounding as a thousand years ago, for example? Do you have the same challenge in your community with this?
1: I think we do because there's a lot of conversation in the Methodist church right now about how to define parts of Scripture.
0: In what way? What does that mean to define it?
1: Um, Or or interpret it. Um, Things regarding homosexuality is a big deal.
0: Right. Okay. And and, and so – for us, interestingly, there, there are very often two perspectives. Let's take that um, interesting um, Leviticus chapter 18 as a really good example. Some people will, some reformed Jews will turn around and say, that's what they thought back then. And that was authoritative to them then, and and that's that's not our issue now because we hear God in a different way. Others will actually reinterpret it and say, why does the Hebrew say it in this way? And it's actually particularly nuanced, and it's not saying that homosexuality is an abomination, but is actually saying something very different about men possessing other men. Um, and so what it's doing is it's saying, no, that still has authority. It just needs to be interpreted differently. Where does the Methodist community fall on those sides? Is it more of a that was then, this is now, or is it a let's reinterpret to, to or, or, or both?
1: Probably more on the side of let's reinterpret and considering that some things were said in the Bible for a particular set of circumstances that may be very different now.
0: I saw moving on, I saw a lovely slogan on your on your website, which said um, open hearts, open minds, open doors. And I do like looking at faith communities slogans because they're really trying to encapsulate the entire community in a few words. So what does that mean for you? Open hearts, open minds, open doors.
1: For me personally, it means that our doors are open. We welcome anyone to come through our doors. Uh, the open minds, I think, are important as, as Methodists because I do th- believe it's important to keep an open mind, to look at different perspectives, to look at different ideas, to consider different options. And I think the open hearts comes out of that because our hearts need to be open to people who don't necessarily think the same way that we do.
0: What does that mean to be open to them? Does that mean to be open to them, to bring them into the tradition or does that mean to be open to them and say, you're entitled to your opinion, I just don't agree? Or is it, I'm open to you having that opinion, I think you're wrong, but I'm still open to it. What, what does open heart or open mind here mean?
1: Um, open mind seen means open mind. Yeah, means willing to consider different options, at least willing to listen. Listening, I believe, is very important. So if your mind is open then you listen without um, preparing your counter-argument while the other person is talking.
0: Does that mean that, well, how, what does that mean for the theology or for the practice of your community? Does that mean that you could sit and listen and then say, wow, I had no idea. That's probably the truth. Or, or do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, how, how open is open? What does that mean for you?
1: I think the fear of an open mind comes from the fear of changing your mind. Mm -hmm. And so people who tend to have less open minds are maybe those who are afraid that their minds might be changed. For me, I feel pretty confident in what I believe, and so I'm willing to listen to other perspectives, and maybe I will change my mind, and maybe that's what I need to do.
0: I I, I really love this openness, Um, and especially as you're a prominent member of the Interfaith Leadership Alliance as well, and we we, we often share uh, meals together and and learn from each other. What does it, if you are open, does that mean that there is no um, no absolute truth? Um, Because this is one of the core questions actually of our show. Is there something that we can say this is absolutely true, religiously speaking, particularly? Or is it or, or can we just say I currently believe?
1: I suspect that there is an absolute truth. I suspect that we may be farther from it than we think we are.
0: Now now I'm intrigued. In what way in what way? But farther because of what?
1: How do we know? How can we possibly know what is absolutely true?
0: So could we um perhaps is it community consensus or, or do we just turn around and say people have been mass movements have been wrong in the past? So, so does that mean it's impossible to ever know what is absolutely true?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I do feel like this comes back to I have a foundation in the scripture and in the tradition of the, of the church and the congregations where I have been involved. And that is my experience and there is value in my experience, and um, so my reason has to deal with these things.
0: So let me ask, before we start taking a break, um, if, when, when it comes to talking about God, um, who obviously has an important place in your community, what can we say about God other than what we believe? Can we say anything definitive? I would say Love. Go on. In what way?
1: That God is, for me, there is a creator, God, and that God loves us, all of us, like a parent. When God created, God said, this is good. The the land and the sea and the animals and the people, this is good.
0: And does that include all the terrible things that happen in the world as well? And if so, how?
1: The terrible things that happen are not necessarily good. And I think that God is very unhappy with those things and recognizes that those are not good and those are the things that make God weep.
0: So this very strongly picks up on the uh, biblical theology of God regretting and God um, God uh, repenting almost, God seeing at the beginning that everything is very good and then later saying, wow, it's not all very good. What does that mean for us as we go through life? Do we, in terms of theological acknowledgement of where we are in the world, what does that mean for us in terms of when we look at the world, can we say, wow, it's still good? Or, wow, we look around and say it's not good at all. Where, Where are we on that?
1: There is good and there is not good in the world. And we can't go back to where we were. We can't go back to the original and we as Christians believe that we are going forward and that we are going forward to something that is even better than it was in the beginning, even more good, and that we can see bits and pieces of that even now, even in our broken world.
0: So, to my final question before we take a break, then, when you say there is good and there is stuff that isn't good, what's the balance at the moment? Is the, well, when you look at the world, do you look at the world and say, wow, there's more good than bad? Or do you say, oh, wow, there's more bad than good?
1: On this particular day, in this particular year, I'm not very optimistic.
0: Right. So it, it can change where we are on a daily basis. This is fascinating. Thank you. We're going to take a break. Um, you're listening to Reverend Blaine Wimberley with myself, Rabbi Neil Amswich, uh listening to Soul Searching on KSFR. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. And my guest with me today is Reverend Blaine Wimberley, pastor at Zia United Methodist Church. We've been talking uh, about the quadrilateral of, of scripture and tradition and reason and experience, and then the idea of good and, and the balance of good and how it depends on a daily basis. Um, how we feel or, or how we observe the world, and, and this experience, I think, is is very strongly coming out for me in, in some of the things that you're saying. Um, your your website mentions about a mission, and I and I wonder if the mission and the experience are bound together. Um, where it says your mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other, and and I wonder why Jesus specifically and not God, and is is that part of an experiential? response or is it is it something more than that
1: well uh the first thing i have to say is that we are in the process of updating our website (laughs) and we do have a slightly different mission statement however i will answer your question because it is an interesting one um there is in protestant christianity as you know um a very strong focus on jesus I feel that this is unbalanced because as Christians, we believe in a Trinitarian God. Jesus is God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus being the Spirit. So our new mission statement is that our mission is to love God, love others, our community, and the world. So we do use God rather than Jesus in the current mission statement.
0: That's so interesting for me. And, and it has that three-part structure again in, in, this, in a mm-hmm. similar way. Are those three things different? Or are they the same thing with three different aspects?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a mystery. If we could explain it, then we would have. <laughs> but um, but it is, we do believe as Christians, that God is one and God is Father, Son and Spirit, and nothing can be said of one that is not also true of the other. And there are three. There is Father, Son, and Spirit.
0: I I I have heard this many times in my in my work and so on. I, I've never really understood it, if I'm honest. Right. I've never and is that where we, is that where you are, where you say we hold these things together and they're not necessarily totally rational, but we experience God in three ways? Because how can one be three and three be one? What, what does that mean?
1: There are lots of ways to describe it. And like all analogies, they fall short. Right. And we just have to say at some point, we believe that this is true and it seems to us that this is true from our experience, from the tradition, from the Scripture. We right. find in our Scripture that, that God is Father and Son and Spirit, and we know that we can't explain it, but there are lots of things that we can't necessarily explain that, we still, that are still part of our lives.
0: Sure, lovely. When we were talking before, I, and I, I find that really helpful because, you know, I try to be as rational in my in my understanding of of uh, my own community and my own faith and other faiths and communities, and that that's always been one thing that that I struggle with. But I, I really hear your answer, which is especially focusing on the other three aspects of the quadrilateral and saying they are is equally valid and stop analyzing. So I, I really do appreciate that. For me, when we were talking before about good and bad in the world that naturally leads into a question about sin, I think. Um, and, um, and I was looking at the mission statement of the United Methodist Church, and, and right near the end, it uses a phrase, in the midst of a sinful world. What does that mean for you that the world is sinful?
1: There is a lot of sin in the world. There is a lot of brokenness. And for me, sin is more about brokenness than it is about breaking rules.
0: So what's broken and how is it broken?
1: If our mission, our mission is to love God and to love others, and in the New Testament, that is the great commandment of Jesus. He said this is the most important thing, to love God and to love others as yourself. So when we are not doing that, then we have fallen into sinful ways. When we become separated from God and separated from one another, so I would define sin as being separation, isolation, and—
0: um, Well, let me, let me ask, following on from that, isolation and separation from each other, from God? Yes. Yes, both.
1: Primarily from God, but they're connected. You can't, you can't love others without loving God. And you can't be separated from God without being separated then from others as well.
0: So sin for you isn't a traditional, um, you have um, broken specific commandments or something like that. It's much more about a relational, much more right. distance. So then does that, when you, you spoke a number of times about brokenness, does that mean that originally there was no separation from God? Because I, I think back to... Genesis, and immediately you have God saying in Hebrew, Ayeka, where are you? Which immediately implies a distance. Um, so, was there ever a state where, where, it, where life was so unified with God?
1: Well, before that point in Genesis, yes.
0: And so, for me as a Reformed Jew, I almost celebrate that division from Eden. Because it helps create our own humanity, it helps us live our lives freely. Um, Am I right that you're hoping to return to that state? That that what I see as humanity, in in its joyous flaws, that you see. How do you see that differently?
1: I see it as not returning to Eden, but going forward to the kingdom of God
0: which is what Tell, what does that look like or or, or or if i if i'm working towards that what am i working towards
1: the kingdom of god where god's will is done on earth as in heaven which sometimes happens and where we do love god and love one another and we're not separate from one another and we're not focused on self which is the other aspect of sin when we become separate we're looking at ourselves. We're focused on ourselves um, rather than, than caring about others.
0: So for you, sin is that self-focus, that idea that, that that takes us away from God, focusing on ourself. So who looks after us?
1: Who looks after us when? I mean, God is always looking, looking after us. We're not always accepting that.
0: Okay, so what does that mean? Because very often, and um, um, this is a similar conversation to something we, we've had with a previous guest. If God is always looking after us, and if God is love, how, and if God is some kind of anthropomorphic deity, a, a supernatural other deity who, who we can interact with and who responds to us, why does God allow You know, such terrible things to happen that don't seem to be expressions of love, that um, seem to be cruel, callous, calculating even. How do we hold that? How do you hold that together?
1: Because some people are not paying attention to God's loving desires for humankind and do cruel things and
0: Sure, but that would be, that would be um, evil between people. But diseases, things like that, that take young children, um, some, some of the uh, natural disasters that we see, how do we account for them in a God who is loving?
1: The argument could be made that there is human instrumentality in those things as well.
0: Go on, in what way? The
1: fires in California. Mm-hmm. Go on. Diseases. Um, things that people have done have set up a situation where these things can happen.
0: Right. So, so if we had been focused elsewhere, we could have maybe limited these things. Is that what you're saying? I think so. So, but then what happens about everything that came before, before we had the ability to do this with modern medicines, say, um, is, you know, if uh, let's take the black death. As a really extreme example, you know, there was very, I mean, yes, people could have, you know, if it, was, if it came from people not being very clean, okay, maybe we can say they could have been cleaner, but that's, that's not really them. That's n- not really sin. Right, right. And, and so, so how do we account for, for God allowing that to happen so long ago that, that there wasn't anything that could have been done to stop that, really?
1: Well that's another one of those I really don't know i I know that things happen that are not part of God's will. I also know that God is with us through these things and I believe that it's all going to come out somehow in the end
0: and I, I and I love the optimism of this I do and um because that that carries you through, I would assume, very dark times. Um, what is the basis of that optimism, that hope? Is that scriptural?
1: Scripture and experience. Right. And that's where the sin comes in or goes out because I find that if I intentionally remain close to God through my practices of prayer and meditation and scripture reading – it gives me a different perspective, and the more I do that, the more aware I am of god's presence with me
0: I, I so like that I, i've only we've only got a few minutes left and i I, I do want to ask the the church mentions um, that it has two main concerns: the grace of God offered to the world um, through life, death, and resurrection, and also social justice issues and i I, I was really struck by how powerfully those two were, were held together, and um, and so I wonder, since we've been talking about the, the kingdom of God as you referred to it and, and the transformation of the world, and also you mentioned the fact that sometimes things happen that are not the will of God. How do we how do we transform the world? How do we make the world a better place? What's what's the core actions that you think we need to do?
1: Going back to John Wesley, he talked about works of piety, which would be the um, worship and prayer and and the spiritual practices, and also works of mercy, which would be works of justice, Um, visiting the prisoners, feeding the hungry, all those things that we consider social justice. And he said that without one, you can't have the other, that, that both of these are required. And to me, that's loving God and loving others.
0: And this really reminds me a lot of the prophetic literature in the Bible, which talks about God saying, I don't want your vain offerings if you're not, you know, relieving the burden of the oppressed and so on. And that seems to be a very similar theology. Yes. Yes. So is the world ultimately... As much as I appreciate you said that there is sin in the world, which is that separation from God and that we are coming, that the world is broken in some sense compared to how it once was and is heading towards somewhere else. Where is the world now? Is it, is, do you believe that the world is an inherently good place now and that it just needs repair or is it actually a, a bad place now that needs total transformation?
1: This is a hard question, and I would have to say, since I have been thinking about it, that it is a good place, it is a beautiful place, and very much in need of repair. And if we are not careful, we may destroy it. And I think that that's something that will call down God's judgment on some people.
0: Thank you so much. I mean, this has been so extraordinary for us to, to explore. There's so much more we could explore, and I, I really hope that you might return another time so we can we can take this further. Thank you so much, um, Reverend Blaine Wimberley from Zia United Methodist Church, for all your very profound answers to today's questions. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe with my guest this evening, Reverend Blaine Wimberley from Zia United Methodist Church. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.